The scripture reading this morning comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and Damascus as its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid, Gaza too, and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Daniel and Joyce, uh, husband and wife duo there, one of our more faithful couples. They, they lost yesterday in the tournament, but, you know, they, they gave their all. It wasn't, wasn't good enough, but I'm just kidding, just kidding. I had to mention that, you know, offered comic relief there. Um, this morning, I don't intend to speak very long, uh, which means you have one more reason why you ought to be thankful today during our Thanksgiving Sunday. Uh, in today's passage, we see God promising judgment upon several foreign cities and regions surrounding Jerusalem. And the passage, if you look at it at first glance, it might seem you know, pretty redundant to you, but, you know, but let, me, let me put it this way. Whenever we read Bible passages like this, it speaks of God's judgment upon unbelieving nations or peoples, right? there are largely two ways we can approach them. First, we can identify with the Jews in the past. We can you know, identify with God's people and, and find comfort in knowing the fact that no matter what forms of injustices we experience in this life, in the end, right, God will right all wrongs and he will ensure that his perfect justice will prevail. And that's, of course, absolutely true. And it's one very good legitimate way to interpret these passages, but there's a second way we can approach these kinds of texts, okay, and that is to identify, not with the Jews, but, all, but with the Gentiles, identifying with the pagan cultures that are mentioned here, and to remember the, the broken past from which we were saved. As we've been working through Zechariah, we've been mainly identifying with the Jewish people, right, and so today, I'd like for us to shift our perspective a little bit and identify with the Gentiles instead because 
When we remember our broken history from which we were saved, I believe we're going to be able to better appreciate the grace which we receive through Christ and, and truly be able to worship the Lord today with hearts filled with gratitude. So that's my hope, okay? Uh, I, I thought of a, a New Testament passage that encapsulates this concept well, and I, I found Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read a few verses there in that chapter, okay? Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is our history. Anyone here an ethnic Jew? No, all of us are Gentiles. All of us were once far from God, but by his grace we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. In order to appreciate what is happening here in this passage and what God has done in your own life as Gentile believers, uh, I believe you need to be able to see God as a divine warrior, okay? Do you have that category in your mind? I know that you guys like love, you love to view God as Father, which is, which is fine, perfectly fine, but have you ever viewed God as a divine warrior? Have you viewed Jesus as a divine conqueror? Well, we see this image in such passages where God or, or Christ, we can say, conquers nations and cities, but I want you to be clear about this. He not only conquers nations and cities, he actually conquers hearts, the hearts of people who once lived in ignorance and unbelief. Keep in mind that this passage describes God bringing judgment upon these cities, but we're also told that among the people whom he conquers, he sets aside a remnant for himself. And it says that they shall be like a clan in Judah, meaning these Gentiles are going to not just be conquered, but they're going to be willingly renouncing their pagan ways and embracing the one true God, and being, they, they will be folded into the people of God. They'll become the true Israel. Right? This is the picture we see here. It's a really cool passage if you think about it, because it essentially serves as a prophecy that finds its fulfillment in each and every one of us here, if you are a believer, right? You who were once far off now have become worshipers of him. It's the story of our lives, brothers and sisters. Now, there are many cities listed in our chapter today, but let me use just one of these cities, the city of Tyre, as an example to illustrate my main point today. Okay, and I promise you my message will be on the shorter side, right? Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I have a few slides I wanted to show you. Let me, let me first say that, okay, there's no slide. All right, ready? You guys ready? Okay. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me, as interest, say that ancient, the ancient city of Tyre was known for being a city that was virtually impossible to conquer because it was an island. 
I was well fortified. And God's people, they, they made attempts to conquer it throughout their history, but they were never successful because it was like that. It was How do you conquer a city that's well fortified such as that? You can't, I mean, they didn't have like massive ships back then. They were God's people. You know, how can you cross a sea and, and, and you know, strike this city? You, you couldn't do it effectively. And so uh, many nations tried, but this city was known to be like an unconquerable city. But when God says he's going to judge a city for their sin and rebellion, which he did, it's, it's going to happen sooner or later, right? Uh, and it so happened that God chose to use none other than Alexander the Great, right, the pagan king of ancient Greece, to do his bidding. And that's something that I believe all of you should know about God. He is not bound by one tool. He has multiple tools in his toolbox, so to speak. Or in this context, we can say he has multiple weapons in his arsenal. He will use whomever he wills, even pagan kings, in order to execute his sovereign plan to fulfill both his justice and mercy in this world. It was true in the ancient world. It's also true in our modern world. And so we see here the ancient city of Tyre, the unconquerable city, but wait, you look, and this is not working. There you go. Alexander the Great was no joke, right? <laughs> uh, he decided, okay, I'm going to turn this on. Uh, okay, I turn, there we go. He decided to build what's called a mole, okay? You can can consider it a siege ramp, okay? It's like, a, it's like a bridge to the island, but of course, that took a lot of time. Uh, it was a slow process of building inch by inch, yard by yard, right, uh, over several months. And imagine if you're standing here on the island side, right, watching the army of Alexander creeping forward how terrified you would have been. So that's a picture of the siege ramp being built. Eventually, he did connect it, and the city was conquered. Uh, that's what history tells us. And over time, actually, this island no longer was known to be an island, but became a peninsula, all right? Kind of looks like the Korean peninsula now, right? You have no longer an island, but... It's, it's connected completely. And so you have another satellite image here. That's what it looks like in the current day. Okay, you can shut the slides off now. Now, it would have been completely just if God chose to simply destroy the city of Tyre with all of its people. But again, the passage teaches us that there was a remnant that God promised to save among the Gentiles who would be folded into the family of God. So God extends grace here. So as you're thinking about how God dealt with the ancient city of Tyre, I want you to use this image, okay, to think about how God has dealt with you in the past or maybe how he is dealing with you now in the present. Brothers and sisters, isn't it true that many of us have sought to establish, at least in our minds, these well-fortified walls in order to keep God away. 
And we, haven't we been living like an island? Or haven't, haven't you ever thought of yourself that way? I want to be an island well fortified against anything that has to do with God. But instead of allowing you to continually live in ignorance and unbelief and in rebellion to eventually experience eternal death, what did God do? How are you here? It's because he offered you mercy. It's because he decided to rescue you and save you from your past. The reason why I had us read from Ephesians chapter four uh, is because it's, it's the New Testament explanation of what God has done for rebellious Gentiles like us. I know if you didn't study the passage ever, it, it's gonna sound very obscure to you. So let me try to unpack this for us, okay? Verse eight reads like this. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, accent on that word gave. He gave gifts to men. Okay, now you gotta know that the Apostle Paul here is quoting from Psalm chapter 68. And in that chapter, it reads virtually the same, except there's one word that is, is different. Okay, let me read the text for you. It's Old Testament, Psalm 68. You ascended high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. Not, not he gave gifts, but in this Old Testament passage, it says he received gifts from men. And so let me clarify what's going on here. What, what is the vision here? Well, it, it's this. The, the, you have the image of God or the image of Christ being a mighty warrior, a conqueror of nations and peoples, I mean, the, the previous verse, verse 17 in the psalm says, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon th thousands, the Lord is among them. So this image of war. God is conquering the nations. And what does he do? He takes people captive and he receives gifts among men. That means he receives the spoils from his enemies in war. But then what does it read in Ephesians? It reads again, he led hosts of captives, not, not he received, but he gave gifts to men. Why, why the difference here? What's going on? Did Paul make a mistake in quoting the Psalms? No. I mean, liberal scholars may claim that he did, but no. He is trying to make an intentional theological point, saying that when Christ came to conquer nations and men, Yes, he took captives, right? He, he took captive the rebels, but instead of simply giving them the death they deserved, guess what? He slayed their hearts, not to permanently destroy them, but to give them a new heart in order that they may see their folly and turn to him and become true worshipers of God. And now, through the miraculous work of God, be made useful for the church. And so now he's able to take these rebellious men, transform them, and now give these men as gifts to the church. That's what's going on. If you read the rest of Ephesians, right, these gifts, they're referred to as the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers. That's just a sampling. It's not a comprehensive list. 
It means that once you're slain, you die to your old self, and a new person is born in Christ. And the main point is that we who were once rebels and useless to God have now been given new hearts and are made useful in building up his church. So in light of what God has done for us, brothers and sisters, how should we respond? We should, of course, be thankful that we have been slain and given new hearts. Are you thankful this morning? When a preacher asks that question, you're supposed to respond, amen, okay? Are you thankful this morning? But I must confess, brothers and sisters, I am concerned particularly about how the younger generation views the Christian faith and their Christian heritage. And I'm sorry if this line of questioning offends some of you, but really, how thankful are you? How thankful are you to have been given the privilege to know Christ and to be counted as a Christian? As many of you should know, people in our day Many of them believe that Christianity is primarily a faith that has oppressed people throughout history. It's an oppressive religion. Is that what you believe? Or do you believe that Christianity primarily has been a source of blessing and a great liberator of people, freeing them from their bondage? Did you ever wish that all the white missionaries stayed home and never bothered to risk their lives to come to mainland China, for instance, or to the small, obscure Korean peninsula many, many decades ago, right, to share Christ with the pagan people because maybe you once viewed the Christian faith as an oppressive white man's religion? That's a very common view in our day as well. Have you bought into that lie? If you ever viewed the Christian faith in such a negative way before, I really hope that it's no longer a belief you hold. Christ does conquer people, but it's so that he could liberate us from our slavery and their bondage to sin. It's an expression of grace not an act of oppression. I had a few, few more things I wanted to share, but I think due to time, I'll wrap things up there. Brothers and sisters, as we consider what God has done for us in Christ, let's respond with thankful. Let's be thankful that God chose to conquer us and slay our hearts in order that we could become gifts to men and to his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, in the midst of judgment, we find hope in the promise of a remnant the people set aside for you. Just as you have done in the past, you continue to call individuals from every nation, drawing themselves, drawing them to yourself, and we see the fulfillment of this promise in our own lives as you have conquered our hearts with the sword of your word. 
We rejoice in the truth that through your judgment, you have made a way for us to become part of true Israel. May we therefore live as testimonies of your grace, reflecting the transformation that comes from surrendering to your word. In the name of Jesus, who ascended on high and gave gifts to men, we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite Pastor Xiong uh, to come and administer his first communion to God's people. <laughs> 